Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. From coast to coast and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Online with Bill Alexander is a guest-driven program where the topics are diverse and entertaining. Laugh and learn while you listen to one of the best hours of online radio around. Online with Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and you're online with Bill Alexander here at WMCK.FM and also at italknet.com as we're streaming live this evening on YouTube and also on Facebook so you can uh, listen to the conversation live. If not, you'll be able to listen to us on WMCK.FM and also at italknet.com. So we've been talking about the pandemic, the coronavirus, uh, COVID-19 over the last couple of days. Monday night, we had a uh, actress that works in New York City who's basically been homestayed. She can't do anything because everything is uh, basically locked down and she's starting to go stir crazy. So after talking to her on Monday night, I'm thinking, you know what? I need to talk to somebody that actually understands how the media works and ask him or her what they think about the way the coverage is being done, and also how the White House is handling this whole situation. So the first person I thought of getting in touch with is John Daly. And John is a news guy extraordinaire and uh, working on some new projects that hope we'll be able to talk about before the end of the show tonight. But let's say hi to John. John, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Bill, doing great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. So I was thinking about this the other day going, I need to have someone on that actually watches the news, actually has uh, been an anchor, written it, done everything possible to get their opinion about what's going on right now. So Mm -hmm. when this whole thing started a few weeks ago, actually, basically last week is when everything broke loose. How did you think the news media was handling it? Were they blowing it out of proportion or were they just giving it just enough concern so people would understand how serious this event was? Well, I, I think they're, they were certainly being uh, dramatic, but at the same time, too, and I always remind people, uh, and again, coming from my news background and coming from newspapers, you know, old local newspapers and coming from a broadcast background, not only radio, but television, and I, I keep going back to people because I had to sign contracts to say that I had to follow the FCC Act of 1934, which says if you're a broadcast station, your first responsibility is to warn the public. Right. And that is first and foremost. So I always try to tell people, and when, you know, when I wrote my book, I always try to say, look, the news media will at times come across as sensational on certain things. Now, if they're being sensational about warning you about something, don't be offended by that. I would rather have them say, you know, 
this is something that could really happen bad. You need to be aware of it, as opposed to saying, well, we kind of heard about it, but we weren't really <laughs> certain, so we decided not to say anything about it, and then it happens. Okay. So I don't have a problem with the media overblowing it. Um, and at the same time, too, they can say, hey, okay, we were wrong, but at least you were aware of it. It's like if you went to your doctor and the doctor was looking at your blood work and he goes, hmm, you know, I think he's going to be a full-blown diabetic and he could have a heart attack. Nah, I'm not going to tell right. him. I'm not going to get him upset. I'm not going to worry about it. So I don't think um, – I don't think – I think too many times – People love to lump the whole media together, and then they love to say, oh, they're just making stuff up, and they're, they're trying to scare you. I, I don't think so. I think they have a responsibility, and I think that that's what the media should be doing to wake you up. Now, I think we as news consumers have a responsibility to act like journalists ourselves. I mean, you, you do have the right to listen and say, okay, I, I don't know if I go along with that. The problem, I think, with the media was, and I do think – the right-wing media, I do think Fox News, I think they really underplayed it, and they took the political angle. Right. Now, granted, now maybe the others did and uh, did the same thing as, you know, this is a way to attack Trump. I'm not saying that that didn't happen. I'm not saying that wasn't in there. I don't know that it was their ultimate, um, their ultimate goal. I really think they were trying to protect people and to wake people up to different things. And to me, I thought Fox was just really dismissive. And I, th I think... In some respects, I think they were really criminal. I mean, you know, thank God Tucker Carlson went over to the White House and said to Trump, hey, you, this is something you really need to look at. I mean, this is really kind of scary. So I think overall, and I do think that the, I think the newspapers, I think the Wall Street Journal, I think the uh, New York Times, and I think the uh, Washington Post, um, I, I thought they did a really good job. L.A. Times. I thought did a really good job on a lot of different things. So the newspapers, to me, were fine. And and I think if you understand the role of warning the public that that's what they're supposed to do, then I, I think overall, I think they did a good job. Because the one thing I thought was interesting, three we when we look back three weeks ago, of course, hindsight's always twenty twenty. The White House and I and I'm, I'm singling out the president. He was very being very dismissive about this. Oh, it's just a flu. It's not going to get that bad. It's going to go away quickly. And then all of a sudden, you start getting cases that are happening, especially in the state I'm in, uh, Pennsylvania, that the whole East Coast um, of PA has all these cases. And then we start getting it in D.C., we get it in Boston, we get it in Seattle, California, and then all of a sudden you start to see this pop up on a radar screen. Then all of a sudden they start getting serious about it. Do you think his people in the White House was actually telling him, don't worry about this, it's going to go away, we don't have to realize, and these people are going, if we keep saying it's fake, they're going to actually think that this is a hoax and that they're out to get you? I think there's a couple things going on here. If you read the book Anonymous, um, then you, you, what you would say is that most of the people in the White House are like, they're, they've taken their job seriously. I think this is just the president controlling the message. And, and he has a... He has kind of that uh, that self-help book mentality. You know, the guys like, you know, uh, you know Richard Branson and, um, uh, you know, there's the uh, Code of the Extraordinary Mind. You know, some books that are really good self-help books. And one of the right. things they teach you in there to be successful is to bend reality. <laughs> well, if you bend reality to 1% of the market, you're a millionaire. But if you're bending reality so that 50% of the people have to believe you that – 
you know what? You're not going to die, even though you're about ready to die. You're not going to um, die. That's a different story there. So uh, I think um, I think people in the White House were probably really trying to convince this president that this is what's it. But since he controls the message, and his belief is, and, and again, I, I don't like that he does this. I understand why he does it, because it's been successful in a business atmosphere. And it's very successful to a lot of people. I know a lot of people who are very successful, and it's just they have just said, mind over matter. Right. I'm going to make money doing this, and I'm going to do this, even though there's no market there, and they do it. Okay. But again, you only need 1% of the market to do that. So, so I think it's a combination of things uh, that was going on there. And um, I do think, and I do think it's dangerous for our country. I really, I really, really do. And I think, I think Trump has hurt himself as far as uh, a potential of reelection. I mean, I would say before this, I, I really thought he had a good chance that he was going to get reelected. Now I'm, I'm kind of thinking, I don't know, I well, don't know. And then, I mean, they've done a great job of showing his flip flops on that. So oh, it's yeah. kind of hard to beat that. Well, just just watching the stuff coming out about it. But when you listen to him talk and the majority of the people that voted for him are are the people being affected by this disease. They're over 60 years old that are the ones coming down with the complications. And that's also mm-hmm. Fox's major art, um, audience. And I'm thinking to myself, why are you trying to tell these people that nothing's happening, yet they're the ones that are being affected the most by it? I mean, you should honestly be trying to protect that audience and say, hey, you got to do this, you got to do this. Not until this week did you start seeing the host on Fox News say that this was something serious. Yeah, no, it's true. And then on top of it, it you know, he's got a, a lot of support out in the rural areas and the rural areas. They don't have, they don't have hospitals out there anymore. I mean, if you if you come down with COVID-19, you're going to have to drive like 60 miles right. to get to a major hospital institution to take care of you or to at least get a test on you. So, um, yeah, I, I think they're, they're, he's he's looking really deficient. And I think the staff that he has is is even as as good as like Fauci is, um, you know, they 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 sorely fell down on the job and they keep kind of going back to blaming obama which is kind of like <laughs> you know i and there's a couple of things you can probably blame obama for but i don't think that's one of them and uh since he did the firing of the uh, of the staff now there, there's been a lot of uh, there's a lot of fact checking going on because biden and bernie have said that he you know he cut the staff and he cut the funding for that right he proposed it but Congress didn't let it happen, so the funding technically was still there. What he did get rid of, get rid of, was the management team that would take over, that would, you know, that would be the ones looking for the pandemic. So he did do that. He did not get a chance to cut the funding, even though he proposed it. So, so I, you know, you got to have a little bit of a beef with the Democrats when they're saying he came in and cut the funding. Well, yeah, he tried to, but it didn't happen. It didn't happen. But the thing is, is he did get in char- get rid of the people in charge. And think about it. We did have two minor pandemics when Obama was here because we had Ebola that was, we were dealing with. And we also Correct. had um, SARS. The swine flu. And the swine flu that came into play. And notice they went away real quick because they were on top but, of it. For the most part, you're right. Yes. And then all of a sudden this happened. And where have all the testing kits at? The World Health Organization was saying, here, take this. The United States decided, oh, we don't need it. We have our own because we have the best healthcare system in the world. 
And right now it's starting to show me that maybe we don't have the best healthcare system in the world and may make people wake up and say, hey, we need to look at this again. Here, here's, here's, here's the thing, Bill, that you should know is that when it comes to life expectancy, the United States ranks 27th, yeah. just behind Costa Rica. Yeah. So, no, we do not have the best. We have the most expensive, and we have a health care system. And, again, this kind of ties into – and Trump is not directly responsible for this, but what led to Trump is responsible for this. If you look at our health care industry, and I think we talked about this the last time, the health care industry is designed to be a sick care industry because sick care brings profit. So if you have a cure – that means there's no money in that. But if you have a lifetime of treatment, then there's a lot of money to be made there. Right. So as a result of it, they ignore the, the, um, the findings, the research. This is out of Loma Linda that talks uh, about how you can do um, care, that you can take care of yourself, that you can be ready for all this. Ninety percent of what ails us as a country can be cured or controlled by lifestyle changes. That's diet. That's mm-hmm. exercise. That's sleep. That's stress reduction. You you will control different things. And if you look at, we are a nation of obese, diabetic people, and that is making a lot of people very very wealthy. The media bias comes in because you have the corporate media, and they take all those advertisements exactly. that come from the big pharma, from the big hospital groups, and what are they doing? The media isn't covering anything. The media needs to go after the majority of of those big pharma things that are coming out, the, the prescriptions that they're making us take, those are what's killing us. Yeah. But none of the media, they're not going to do any investigations on that. A great book called um, American Sickness by Elizabeth Rosenthal. She explains the whole thing, lays it all out. It's a fabulous investigation. You will never, ever see any of that on national TV news or cable news. Okay. It, it just, just astounds me, especially when the president talks and he said he met with the CEOs of the fast food restaurants to keep the drive throughs open. Mm-hmm. And it's like, to me, <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. We don't want people to go out, but yet McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's are keeping them open and they're doing wonderful things. I'm going, I get small businesses. I really do. But the major corporations, I don't understand why we're trying to prop them up when they have the the financial backing that they need. Mom and pop are one thing. McDonald's corporations another. Now franchisees, I understand that too. But the other thing I think is interesting. Every time you see them doing a a, a briefing during the day, what ends up happening is the president talks, then Mike Pence talks, then everybody else talks, and they're always patting Trump on the back for what he's mm-hmm. doing. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, why do we have to give him kudos on everything, even though we know. He hasn't done a darn thing since this whole thing started. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Well, it's, you know, he's he's got control now. I mean, he's controlled that not, not only the whole executive branch to the point where, you know, he's like, you know, people keep, you know, comparing him to a to a Don and you yeah. know, to a mafia Don. And uh, and there's a lot of truth to it. So, I mean. I, you know, myself, I mean, I, I try to stay away from making those comparisons, yet at the same time, too, um, you know, you hear him talk, and you just go, you're not making sense, 
Um, and I do, and I'm, and, and I'm not certain. I think medically, I think medically there is something wrong with him. And I, I, I think he is, he's a detriment. I think he's a real detriment. On the other hand, I understand why a lot of people voted for him because a lot of people up until about a week ago yes. had some really good 401ks and IRAs. Yes. And I, I mean, I've talked to people around here and we we're we're in a near retirement community. We live in between Myrtle beach and, uh, in Wilmington, North Carolina. And, um, you know, I just, I, one, one gentleman, he said, he goes, I, I just lost $150,000 today. And, uh, so, you know, you're hearing a lot of that. So he, he did help a lot of people as far as that goes, especially the older white, somewhat wealthy people and the baby boomers. So, um, I understand why people did vote for him. On the other hand, you know, we've, we've gone too much to taking care of the individual and we've ignored the common good. Mm-hmm. So we've got this and, you know, we're going to see this in spades once you, you know, once this coronavirus really hits hard. And if it lasts, you know, four to eight weeks or even longer, I mean, we have so much income inequality. I mean, there's so many people who, you know, they're, you know, they're one or two thousand dollars away from from going broke and losing everything. Right. And that's about 50 to 60 percent of the country, according to a number uh, of the statistics that you see. And that's because over the past 15, 20 years, we took care of the individual and we didn't take care of the common good. And that formula, if that formula is even and battling against each other, we've got a really strong country. Because you've got you've got the two you got the two things that make the country great, really working against each other and working with each other, and that's that's a good battle. And the, right now the the battle the individual is just you know winning entirely. So you hear when you hear the conversation about oh we're going to bail out the airline industry, and then you got you finally have some people, you know, on the left on the Democratic side saying okay if we do that, they cannot use that for stock buyback. Yes, I mean that's it has to go to the workers. So you're seeing, you know, you're beginning to see that, and I think you're beginning to see a big pendulum swing where you're beginning to see. And again, I'm not a fan of Bernie and AOC or anything like that, but I can see where it's kind of coming back, and you know, it's coming back towards the Joe Bidens. Um, I think it's getting away from that right wing, um, white, um, corporate thinking only way of doing things, and I think you're. You know, I, I think things are changing there. Ezra Klein wrote a great book on why we're polarized, and it's it's a fabulous look into why we've gotten so far apart, and we're not we're not compromising. We're not you know it used to be Republicans and Democrats could find a you know find a compromise on things. Fortunately, this week they have on these two bills. Unfortunately, yes. it has to be a a bill that's you know you know catastrophic. Well, the interesting thing I think about it too is, and the people that voted for Trump. I don't think um, when they voted for him, they were voting for change is what it was. And I understand they were voting to shake up D.C. I get it. But now mm-hmm. the people that voted for him are on a quarantine that has been put out by their state saying no non-essential work can be happening. We have construction sites closed down. We have all this work. And this, and these guys, they don't know where their next check's coming from because yeah. they, 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 do, they do daily work. They get paid. I mean, they're probably going to get their last check either this week or next week because they get paid every two weeks, and they, that previous two weeks is what they're getting paid for, that it's going to really affect them. And I think they're realizing now that, hey, there's no protection for us anymore because this may be the one thing that totally eliminates the middle class in this country because, like you said, there are so many people one or $2,000 away 
from losing everything. I mean, making the, I mean, they banks still want their car payments. They still want their mortgages. They still want everything else. But again, yeah. no, absolutely. What are you go, what are you going to do about this? And now they're saying, okay, we're going to give a thousand dollars. We're going to stagger it, um, a thousand, two checks for a thousand dollars. Now I don't know if that's per individual, per household, or whatever it is, but I'm thinking, that's a handout. That sounds yeah. like socialism to me. And mm -hmm. yet we're going to be no, doing absolutely. that, and everybody's going. This is a great idea. This is going to save us. This is going to do this, that, and the other thing. And I'm thinking, you can't have it both ways. You have it one way or not. But right now, I think the people are just so scared, they don't know how to react. Because they're just grasping for straws and hoping this will just go away. And like you said, I don't know if two or three weeks are going to do it. I think it's going to be three or four months before we actually see this disappear. You know, and a lot of people are saying that. A lot of people, the experts are saying that too. They say it might be, you know, July and August. So, And I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised one bit at all. And, you know, to me, I mean, when I look at this, I mean, I look back, it's, to me, this all started in the 1990s. We all thought the 1990s were going to continue forever. Right. And, you know, the 1990s were perfectly balanced. Us baby boomers, we were like in our late 30s and 40s, and we were, you know, we were creating all this stuff, and we were consuming all this stuff. And then once the 2000s got around and all that, and then you started seeing a little bit of a... You know, again, it was more the individual. It was everybody because the individual, if you take care of the individual, oh, everything will be fine for everybody. It worked really well in the 90s. And then when the financial crisis hit, and it, it's interesting you're, you're talking about those construction workers. Um, George Packer wrote a great book called The Unwinding, and he looked at the result of the, um, of the financial crisis. And one of his great observations was that the, uh, the unwritten contract – social contract with the American people and, and, and the American worker was completely obliterated. And that contract read, if you work hard, you stay out of trouble, you're a good person, you won't become a millionaire, but you'll always have a roof over your head right. and beer in your refrigerator. And he said that financial crisis completely ruined that contract that unwritten contract that we had. And it's exactly what you're saying with the worker today. Because you, you, you got workers today, you know, and you know, they talk about the gig economy. Well, it sounds like a great idea, but you've got to work like about 50, 60 hours to just to, just to make, you know, somewhere a, a reasonable living just to get by. Now, if, if you've got kids, that's worse. And then think of how many of the workers today have to take care of a older parent exactly or maybe has to live with an older parent so i mean the 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 things today that they're doing is difficult and then you know on top of it what we're doing with the millennials um and i i i'm i sympathize with the millennials because a lot of people are saying you know oh, all they want is free college and they want you know they want free this and free that and it's like well you know if you're a baby boomer saying that to them you know what you you know, you, you're on socialism. I mean, you're on Medicare. And you've <laughs> exactly. only paid in one-third exactly. of what you are going to use. The other two-thirds comes from taxpayers, comes from young taxpayers who have brutal college tuition that they have to pay, and they've got to pay off your debt that's causing all the different problems, and yet you're making fun of them? Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. And I, and I do think once the millennials get a little bit angrier, and they really start voting, 
baby boomers are going to be in a lot of trouble. Well, I and think there's going to be a change. I think it's going to happen too. I'm on the edge of I'm two years after the boomers, so I'm I'm a I'm in that generation. What is it X or whatever it was? But um, uh-huh. I'm still paying my student loan for my master's degree, which I got 21 years ago. I'm still wow. paying for it. Yeah. Because, and it, it's not like I'm paying a lot monthly. It's just that every time interest changed or whatever it was, I mean, it just keeps on going. And that's mm-hmm. the whole thing. I've even, I've even qualified. <laughs> oh, you'll love this one. I qualified for a forgiveness program for what I do. And what ended up happening was I took my loan out two months before the program started. The guy on the other end of the phone says, we can't help you. You're in that loop. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you took your loan out two months before the program started. I said, I have everything else. He goes, I know. He says, I I feel so bad for you. And I'm going, everybody else got theirs paid off in 10 years. I'm still going because I missed that. I was in that loophole. So, I mean. That is unbelievable. Oh, yeah. And I'm going, I understand where these people are and where they're struggling with the student debt and everything else. Now, luckily for me, mine's offset for what I make. But the whole thing about it is I pay mine off and I see someone 10, 15 years younger getting theirs paid off too. Then part of that's not fair. And I get it. Life isn't fair. And I know it'd be better off for for us to pay everybody's loans off so everybody's on equal footing. But I think that's where a lot of people are coming from when it comes to free college is because it's like, if I didn't get it, why should we be giving it to somebody else? Yeah. And, and I, under, well, and, and and I understand that. Actually, there, there is, and I've been in contact with a guy who uh, is, he's got a product, and it's a life insurance product, and it's called the Debt-Free Life. And primarily, it is a whole life policy that has gushes of cash flow. Okay. And what you do is, and what you do with the cash reserves is, you pay off you pay off those loans. Oh, okay. So you can, if you're somebody who works, uh, and again, it's called the debt free life. The guy's name is Wayne Wampler, and he's in the North Carolina area. And he talked to me. I ended up doing a podcast on him because I said, I said that's absolutely brilliant. I said you actually have a. Um, a, a program here, and it's just a life insurance policy. And if you give a life insurance policy to a kid who's 25 years old yes. and he's working, I mean, that's like, oh my God, insurance companies love that because they know he's going to live to at least 65 or 75. And they're going to so keep gonna be making in. all that money. That's off. right. And yet he's going to get the, the cash in there and he can pay off all of his loans interest free. And that's not a bad idea, actually. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's actually a very good idea. Um, but again, it's just interesting to see how this is all coming about. And as I said, wh- one other thing I thought was really interesting this week, if you watch all the media, all of a sudden, out of the blue, parents are realizing what teachers have to do. And how yeah. the t- and I'm going, good point. wait a minute, where did this come from? All Teachers were the, uh, mm-hmm. were the bad people for all these years, and all of a sudden the parents have these kids at home for two days. Or three days, and they don't know what to do with them. Yeah, yeah, and and that and those are school systems that don't have uh, that don't have a good internet system, uh, right? And because there's a lot of teachers who are still teaching, and they are, t- but they're sitting at home and you know on a computer, right. and they got the you know ten, twelve, or how many kids, whatever. Now, are those probably charter schools or really expensive private schools for the most part they probably are um and public schools don't have it and those are the ones that you're right parents have to 
parents have to stay there and they've got to they got to learn what homeschooling is. And I know where I live here that one of the districts, uh, probably about a third of it doesn't have high speed Internet. So if you're trying to do anything with that online work, these kids can't do it because they can't access it. And that's one of these things why this rural Internet bill has to go through on a federal level. So it is actually an even playing field because now we're taking away um, this tool that kids need for studying and actually able to keep up and educate that we're not able to do. And I think we're realizing now where our infrastructure is failing just because of what's happening with the epidemic. Well, it's not only that, but it's also it's the cable companies and the wireless companies. Yeah, they're preventing what could be getting fiber into everybody's home so every kid wouldn't have to go to a library. He'd get instant access. Great book by a woman by the name of Susan Crawford, and it's called Fiber. And she goes through the whole thing of how those industries control the state legislatures and the local towns. And there are a couple of towns. uh, I think there's one one in North Carolina, and then I think the other one is it's in Tennessee. I can't remember. It's It's not Knoxville. I can't remember what it is, but it's not a town. It's actually one of the cities there. And uh, what they did is they just said, screw it. We're just going to do it ourselves. Okay. And they put the whole fiber in by themselves. And what happened was their economy went through the roof and all their kids' um, educational scores went through the roof. I'm sure they did. And, 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 And then local business started doing really good. So the main street and the retail came back. And it just it just it made the whole community thrive again because they became a community because they were all communicating and they were a part of it. But what you're going to find is that, you know, if you want to if you want to put this in, cable companies won't let you do it. They'll actually go to the state legislature, pay off the, the state lawmakers, and they'll rescind you from doing that. They won't allow you to do that. But that's a big difference. Read it. It's a great book. It's called Fiber. It's by Susan Crawford. I would tell everybody to read it, and that would solve the problem that you're talking about right what, there. What's interesting about that, I know in the area I'm in, that years ago when cable first came in, this was before Internet was even thought of, They worked. the cable companies worked out deal with deals with local municipalities that yep. they could only sign with one cable outlet. So then you had a monopoly. Yeah, absolutely. And then, okay, the phone company had it, but that was only DSL or it was the old modems, and you still weren't Uh able to get the quality. Well, now, 30 years later, we're still working with the same cable company, and the infrastructure is not there. However, where I'm at right now, if I go two miles down the road, I can tell you where the the, the, uh, fiber line is that they put in. And it wasn't put in for us. It was put in for two local businesses that were 20 miles apart is why they put it in, which is ridiculous. Um, Uh uh, Let me do something here real quick. You're listening to WMCK.FM at Keysport and also listening to us stream live at italknet.com. My uh, son is a sophomore at one of the local universities in the area. And whenever they closed school for them last week, they basically lost the rest of their semester. And they told the kids, if you don't have high-speed internet to do your work, this is the suggestion they gave. There are local libraries. You can go to Panera. You can go to certain uh, convenience stores and use the Internet. And I'm thinking, you're telling kids that if they don't have it, they're going to have to go find it somewhere, which doesn't make any sense because we're supposed to be um, doing social distancing 
and yet you're telling them to go to stores which now are closed. So these kids Absolutely. that are in college who are college students and some of them may not have a place to live or they're living with older parents that may not have internet or whatever it is, they're not going to be able to do their work. And I don't think anybody thought that through whenever they did this. Well, the the uh, wireless companies and the uh, cable companies, they thought about it. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. <laughs> no, they true. thought about it. They thought they thought about it really nice. When you look at your cable bill, I mean, look at your cable bill in the last, you know, compared to what it was in 2000 compared to what it is now. I mean, it's it's like four or five times more. Look at your your cell phone bill. What is it what is it now compared to what I mean, I I paid $40 for a cell phone bill, I you know right now I'm paying upwards of almost three hundred dollars a month <laughs> I know for a cell phone. Now that granted, I got I got a, I got a family plan, but the family plan you know back then would have only been probably a hundred dollars for right. three or four of us. Right, and I'm I'm paying so, around three hundred dollars for five of us with unlimited access because my kids are the ones that suck up the data, and if I ever want to use it, I have to pay for the higher plan. But one thing I did do. And the cable company thought I was odd. I finally cut the cable about a month and a half ago because nice. everything we were doing, we're doing online anyhow. And I have these streaming sticks. I have a high-speed Internet coming into the house, which is through, still through the cable company. Yep. I don't have a home phone anymore because we have five cell phones in the house and everybody has their own phone number. So if someone needs to reach them, they can do it on their own. And I dropped my bill, my cable bill, I cut it almost $200 for what I was paying. Yeah. And See, I'm that's going, great. And a lot of people are doing that. This is really nice. Now, the cable companies are going to realize that they're doing this, and they're going to probably make it more difficult for you to get out of it, or they're going to make your internet price through the roof. But yes. it, we just can't afford it. And with doing, um, with, with the uh, high-speed internet, for the most part, is reliable about 85% of the time. Um, you're still able to do things that you were able to do before. And I put an antenna on the side of my house, which I never thought I would do because I had one up on the side of my house 25 years ago, took it down so we could get uh, satellite TV. And then all of a sudden I put another one back up again, which was kind of, <laughs> kind of interesting. So it was like uh, yeah. going back in time, but it, it, it just, it just surprises me that what we are controlled by for us to get any information it's not free anymore. We have to pay for it. And we're not paying little yeah. sums. We're paying a lot of money to get information. And a lot of the time, that information is not reliable. No, you're absolutely right. And it goes back to there's another great book. It's called The Great Reversal. It's written by an economist. His name is uh, Thomas Philippon. And uh, the subtitle is How America Gave Up on Free Markets. And primarily, this guy examines how we've allowed all these industries to monopolize. They merge, they merge, they merge, and they're like, okay, well, this is, gonna, this is gonna save you money. No, it's not. No, you guys have less competition, so you're just jacking the prices way right. up, and you have every right to do that, and lawmakers are allowing you to do that. And the, the cable industry, the, uh, the wireless industry, those, those are the best examples. The healthcare industry is another example. All these big mergers of hospitals, oh, this is going to save you money. No, it's not. You're going to jack up prices. Yeah, because there's no competition. <laughs> you got, you got shareholders. you got shareholders, yeah. And there's no so competition. It, it, 
and you're and like you said, you're losing rural hospitals because of this because they can no longer compete. And the thing is, now we're noticing in this area, there's hospitals that have closed around us that the medical facilities are realizing they're not going to have enough beds in their area for this disease. So they're looking at opening up the old hospitals that they basically closed down. And yeah, it, they're actually talking about using the schools that are closed down and turning them into hospitals. Yeah. So again, it's just one of those it's just one of those situations where I don't think in my lifetime I've ever seen anything like this before, and I don't think I'll ever yeah, see anything like have. it again. And I hope I never see anything me, like it again. Well, you know, and unfortunately this could be a revolving thing where it could be coming back. To me, the the, the closest thing I think it could be, and again I wasn't alive at this time, was World War Two. Okay. That would be the, 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 the closest I could think, but that was that was a very visible enemy, whether it was the Japanese or the uh, or the Nazis. Um, but this this is an invisible one, so this is like this is like scarier, and this is this is stranger. Did, and you're right, we've never seen anything like this. Did you hear the president today called himself a wartime president? Yes. Yeah. Do you find that Ask as ridiculous as I do? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, it is wartime. I mean, you know, we are on a wartime footing. There's no doubt about that. But, uh, but to address himself as that, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, and again, he's, unfortunately, he's clueless as far as, you know, what the majority of the American people are looking for in a president. I think they just want someone that they can trust, that they know they're getting correct information and the information's not changing three times a day. Because and then he's still going after people on Twitter, which I think is interesting. And he's and again, like you said earlier about blaming Obama or blaming the Democrats. And I'm going, there's no one to blame here. Everybody has to work together to get something accomplished, because if not, you're going to lose a lot more people than you expected. I mean, for goodness sake, whatever's happening in Italy right now is just a shame. Yeah, and they're unfortunately they're. I don't know if it's just because they have an older population, but you're beginning to see there's a lot of the younger population mm-hmm. is, uh, is dying, too. So that's that's changing. And, and again, I think a, a lot of one of the outcomes of this could be is that we'll, we may finally listen to our scientists um, for so long. So many people in this country just ignore the science that's out there and and. You know, one of the things in, in our, you know, our first conversation about, you know, did the media good, do a good job? And to me, I, the reason why I think they did a good job is they were quoting scientists. Right. And they were quoting scientists that had studies. They were quoting scientists who say, here's what this thing is doing. It's multiplying. There's a good chance it's going to do this. And, you know, God forbid, uh, hopefully they're, they're a little bit wrong coming up because if, if they're right on the worst-case scenario – we're talking about 1.5 million Americans dying. Yes. That's, that's pretty scary. And that could be six, seven months of, of people not working. I mean, you're going to see industries. You're definitely going to see a recession. Uh, I mean, it's pretty scary. And to be honest with you, you know, the, the media or the, the good, smart, mainstream media actually quoted from these scientists and you know, it's it's a reasonable chance that what they're talking about is going to come true. If they would have been able to contain this in China, 
we would not mm-hmm. be dealing with this. However, since it traveled across Europe as fast as it did, we knew it was coming here. Just because of air travel and everything that we deal with your with with your European unit union, so mm-hmm. we should have been able to predict this. And like you said, a lot of the news media was talking about it a month ago, two months ago, because the first case was what diagnosed uh, December or New Year's Eve, twenty nineteen in yeah. China, and mm-hmm. we heard about it. We knew it. Why were we not taking precautions then? Because we didn't think it was ever going to get here, or did you, they think that there was going to, they were going to be able to stop it before it got here? I, I you know, again, I think it, I, I think it was you go back to the Trump's bending reality. You know, if he could say, "Hey, it's not going to be here. We're going to be fine. Just relax. It's going to be okay." You know, there is no recession. There is nothing happening, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that's that's a big part of what it was. And, 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 you know, at the same time, too, there is a psychology of sometimes when you panic or when you get negative about something, negative things happen. That's why they tell you, you know, be happy. Right. That's what they say, you know, try to exude love <laughs> and try to, you know, try to, you know, make sure you're out there because, you know, if you're, if you're positive in a business sense, it, you know, as, as opposed to being, oh, I'm scared or I'm negative, if you're scared and you're negative, the person who's dealing with you is going to be, eh, I don't know, this person seems a little worried. But, wow, they're positive. They seem to know what they're doing. They're confident about what they're doing. Yeah, we're going to do business with you. That doesn't translate into running a country. No. And, and unfortunately, he's using those tricks, and they just don't work here. And it's making him look totally out of, out of touch with what's going on. Because mm-hmm. he's being a Pollyanna saying, oh, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. And then we just had uh, someone else die 20 minutes ago or whatever it may be yep. from a disease that we can't get. Now, the one thing I think is interesting is, um, and this is on your Twitter page, too, that um, that Angela Merkel made a comment that Germany is facing the, the one of the toughest challenges since World War II. And the reunification of Europe at the time, because they are having such a difficult time stopping it and it's not going away. It's actually getting worse. Yeah. And they're, you know, and and they're, they're keeping people out. Yeah. And they're still having that problem. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, you know, what they were saying with the, the, the lethality of this, of this virus. And I actually, we talked to a doctor who actually looked at it and she had said, she goes, this thing's scary. This, this thing is just contagious, scary, what's out there. And somebody predicted this. Someone predicted this about a year ago. They actually did a whole scenario and kind of showed what was going to happen. But, you know, we're, you know, like Churchill says, that, uh, you know, Americans, they'll, they'll always do the right thing. It'll take them, you know, 10 wrong things to do first before they'll do the right thing. You also have on your Twitter feed that Chinese scientists alleged uh, to destroy proof of the virus in December which was written yeah. by the Sunday Times, a right-wing publication. And we're seeing a lot of that on social media, that these these stories about how it's China's fault, China's fault, China's fault. And mm-hmm. the president today calling it the China virus, which is yeah. being uh, throwing it in a, a total different direction because now it sounds racist because he's calling it a ethnicity Instead of call, calling it what the uh, the medical name is or whatever term they're using for it, and it, it it's it's probably going to make things worse. 
Yeah, and he's you know that's but that's also his base. So he's taking care of his base to keep them happy. And we've become very nationalistic, and we've become very we're we, we're really a racist society right yes. now. So that is that is endemic of of how we've gotten so polarized. Now at the same time, too, um, you know, China did you know they they did a lot of things to hide this thing, right? <laughs> and. Uh, you know, they actually killed one of the doctors, uh, allegedly, uh, that uh, was trying to fight it, who was trying to get it out. Um, so, but on the other hand, uh, China, once it did get out, uh, China did um, put in a lot of restrictions that actually did help the world, or should help the rest of the world, to kind of be able to, to they, were act, they acted a little bit as a bulwark, even though they did kind of start everything. So, um but yeah, that's it's just not helpful, and you know I think we're we're beginning to realize that this this virus, you know, it, we're we're not Americans, Chinese, Europeans, right? It's affecting we're everybody. People on Earth, and we're all part of the same problem here. And you know, I thought it was interesting. There are two members of Congress that now have that tested positive for coronavirus, and it was interesting. It was one Democrat and one Republican. So it's you know. They're not biased either. Right, so. exactly. Um, what I what I I'm wondering, and I and I don't know how to say this delicately, but because of his base, do you think if uh, the base there's individuals that lose loved ones to this virus, that they're going to relook at his presidency differently and and either not vote or vote for somebody else, or do you think they're just so polarizing right now it doesn't make a difference? Well, it's funny. I always use the example of <clears throat> Ken Burns did a documentary on Vietnam, and one yes. of the things that they, they came out with was um, when people start dying, that's when you start paying attention. And when the uh, U.S. military intelligence began to realize that there were monks over in Vietnam that were setting themselves on fire to protest what the Americans were doing, they were like, okay, we're screwed now, because if they're willing to do that, and then Fast forward to, you know, 1967, 1968, <clears throat> when parents all of a sudden began to realize, wait a minute, my kid is dying, right? Or my kid's been killed over there. I mean, we, I mean, there was there was what 56,000 Americans that died in that war, and when all of a sudden they're beginning to realize, wait a minute, my kid's dying. Why is my kid dying? My kid is dying because. The military-industrial complex, because LBJ can't stop the war. He's trying to keep it going because they want to stop communism. And it's like, wait a minute. And that's when you started seeing the rebellion that happened in the 60s. So in answer to your question there, I do think, yes, I think you might see some of that. On the other hand, you know, if you, you, know, if you look at these, the people who are the sycophants who are following him, um, they, he's got them hook, line, and sinker. So I right. think there's a lot of them. They could, you know, they could be going to the funeral of a loved one, and they're still going to wear a MAGA hat. Yeah. You know, so I, I, you know, do I think this has hurt him? Yes. Do do I think now there's a chance that he might not get reelected? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, really up until about, you know, two and a half months ago, I, I said to people, I go, hey, he's got a really good chance of getting reelected. You know, he's not going to win the popular vote. But he can he can easily win it because he's he's got that base, right? And he's he does have about, you know, I think it's about forty percent of the people, you know. And I I know people who who swear by him who I think are really smart people, 
and and I'm just I'm dumbfounded. I just I just I, I can't understand it. But again, I think we've gone to everything for the individual, and we've forgotten about the common good. And uh, so I I still think it's out there. I still think he has a chance. Yeah. Do you think if it would have been handled more aggressively? we would not be dealing with the hysteria that we're dealing with now? Or do you think because it seemed like it was hidden for so long and then all of a sudden it happened within the last two weeks, we're trying to figure out how to deal with it. Do you think if they would have been more open about it in the beginning, we wouldn't be going through this right now with the stock market dropping as as quickly as it done over the last few days? Do you mean if Trump, Trump yeah, was more aggressive if about more, it? was more aggressive about it, yeah. Um, I, I think it would have been um, – I, I still think we would have gone through some pain. I think the thing that, that it might have done is it would have reduced the length of the pain. Okay. It might have only been like three or four weeks because, you know, what, what South Korea has done – I mean, South Korea is actually on the backside of this now. China is on the backside of it now. Um, so – and they did, they did something very aggressive as far as the testing and, you know, and really locking down everybody. I mean, they have quarantine. I mean, it was martial law. Um, are we going to do that? You know, probably not. My my fear is is that, and, and what will be really bad for Trump is that, is that this thing, you know, moves on to, you know, eight, twelve, or sixteen weeks. You know, we're into the summer, and you know, we've lost, you know, we've lost the total baseball season. Oh yeah. You know, we've 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 lost things that, you know, that we live by, and then you know, and if we have you know like a million people dying. Yeah, you're going to you're going to it's it's going to hurt him and they're going to look at him and they're it, you know, you can't you, you can't listen to his, you know, blaming Obama for the whole thing. I mean, it's it's on his watch one way or another. Do I think even if he was aggressive would it still have been some problems? Sure. I mean, this is this is something that's you know, it's it's something that was going to be rapid. I mean, it's this is a scary, scary virus, and this is scary to the point where it could be recurring again and again and again, which could change change our lifestyles. Yes. I mean, you know, how we greet people. You know, you know, are we going to travel? You know, will you leave the country? Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, that could that could be that could be the way of uh, the way of the future. But he was going to. You know, no matter, you know, for instance, George W. Bush, and, and I thought he did a great job of handling 9-11. But at the same time, too, um, you know, he had he had problems and it was difficult. But at least he, you know, he had the backing of the people and he had the backing of the Democrats as well as the Republicans. Um, on the other hand, he totally screwed up Katrina. Yes. I mean, just totally yeah. screwed that up. Um, and, uh, I mean, that should have been a slam dunk. I mean, that should have been easy. It was contained to one area. Yeah. Um, so I think Trump was going to have problems anyway. Um, and I think it would have been, um, you know, a struggle for him, but if he had been, you know, if he'd been someone who, you know, who would listen, who had people, uh, there who, you know, he would, he would definitely take advice from. And even if he had the chance to, you know, call up Obama and say, Hey, Give me a hand here. Right. I know Obama called up George W. Bush. You know, he talked to him, according to what they said. Yeah. Um, you know, and George W. Bush actually talked to Clinton. Yeah. So, um, you know, he doesn't. So, yeah, I think he's going to suffer from it. He's going to suffer. And then just on top of attacking everybody and just dividing everybody else, I mean, I mean, Europe doesn't like it. Canada doesn't like it. Yeah. The Mexicans are now saying, we're putting up a wall so you guys don't come here. We don't want you here now. 
Um, the other thing I think is going to hurt him too, because everything's on video is him at rallies just two and three weeks ago saying that this was a hoax. It was, it's no worse than the flu and going on the whole thing. And up until last weekend, he still wanted to do rallies until they told him you can't do this. And I want to know who got to him and said, and basically had to shake him and said, you cannot do what you're doing. Cause if not the people that you are going to have these rallies with, you're putting them at jeopardy. And those are his voters. My, my, from the stories I've read, I heard it was Tucker Carlson. Okay. From Fox news. And I can't believe Tucker has that much power to, to him, but maybe it was just enough for him to listen because even last weekend, Sean Hannity was still saying it was fake. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. It, it just amazes me about that. And the other thing I think is interesting, too, is the two Democratic um, candidates for president have basically gone under the radar now because they're just waiting to see what the president does. Yeah, I think so. And at the same time, too, um, you know, for them to, you know, like one, they can't hold rallies. Two, right. I guess they, they could do online stuff. But I think it would, and whoever's guiding them, you know, knows that it would it would look disingenuous. Right. If I'm going to do a rally right now, well, no, you don't do a rally. You, you know, you you pitch in, and you know, and to be honest, I think what Biden did. I mean, when Biden appeared, Biden appeared like a president. He was oh, the only one. I mean, he, Trump doesn't see, doesn't appear like a president, and I don't think Bernie appears like a president. No, Bernie sounds like that that old guy that's in your neighborhood that yells at kids for walking on their lawn. <laughs> but yeah, Biden sounded like a president, and he actually sounded good, like he yeah. didn't make any gaffes. There was no problem, and I'm going, hey, I can see this man as president. So yeah. it, it, it will be interesting to see how this plays out. And I know we spent the whole hour talking about it, but I want to talk about some of the new things that you're going to be doing with here in the near future before we end the program tonight. Oh, super. Well, I, we still have Undercover Jet Setter. That's our TV show that I do with uh, Susan Anzalone. She's my co-host and co-creator, and it's travel, food, wine, and golf. Now, of course, travel, that's a bad thing now. But, <laughs> um, but we, sh- we shoot it entirely off the iPhone. And so if you go to youtube.com slash undercover jet setter, we've got about, uh, we've, I, think we, I think we've produced about 70 full length oh, episodes, 30 wow. minute episodes. 30 minutes. And, um, and we've got, oh, like three or 400 um, videos on the YouTube channel that are segments. So again, it, you know, it's travel. You know, we take you to off the beaten path places. You know, we do, uh, we do food and wine. She's a food and wine expert. So okay. I just kind of sit there and ask her questions and then eat and drink. So she's the expert on that. And then we do, we do different golf courses and different uh, stuff going around there. And we do some different technology things. In fact, one of them we're doing is, and we're helping out is a company called gold seal industries. And it is a trash to energy. And the guy who's actually running it now is John O'Hurley, who played Jay Peterman on Seinfeld. Okay. I, I thought I and recognized he's that a, name. He's, yeah. He's a good friend of mine, and we've, we've been friends for years. And this technology is world-changing. So you're beginning to see a lot of these technologies that are about ready to happen. This is a trash to energy. It gets rid of all pollution. It creates unlimited amount of energy. And it takes the byproducts of the pollution and turns them into sellable byproducts. It creates medical grade water and it can feed millions of people. Oh wow. And it's one of these technologies that is just absolutely fascinating. If you get a chance to go look at we've done about four or five pieces on it and we are just mesmerized by this. So it's 
it's actually it's very very cool and if you look up john o'hurley you'll see his connection to it as okay. well so we're helping with that and then i've got this other one it's called news.tv and it's n-o-o-z.tv and this allows everyday people to be citizen journalists to be newscasters they actually get their own channel and um you go out and you you cover the stories you want to cover you can actually make money as well so they're setting things up there that way a guy by the name of will head he's out of wilmington he's actually started this thing and he brought me on to i'm actually training people since we've written a book on uh how to how to shoot a tv show off an iphone I literally am going to train people. I'm going to, we're going to have a news academy where I will literally train people on how to go out, shoot a show off the iPhone or shoot a segment off the iPhone, how to turn it around quickly, how to edit it, okay. how to get it up there and all that. So, so that looks like the new wave. And it, it ties into um, all the, you know, the, the local newspapers that are going away, especially the rural newspapers. This is, a, this is filling in a void where literally you can become a journalist. You can do it for, you know, your neighborhood, for your town. Let's say you don't want to be a journalist. Let's say you're a history nut, but you can you want to cover history. Or let's say you're a cook and you want to share great recipes. Okay. You can do that as well. So it's more of a magazine type thing. But if you go take a look at it, it's N-O-O-Z dot TV. And just take a look at that. It's actually kind of a cool thing that I think is going to really take off. What, what I think is really interesting about it is today while I was uh... – uh, doing some work, I was thinking about that because there's a lot of people that have stories right now, but being quarantined and what they're doing. And I was thinking that'd be a great idea for someone to put something together where people could actually host their own programs about doing it. Little did I know that you're doing something like that right now, because I think it's an excellent idea. Bada bing. That's exactly what it is. And you can literally, literally, um, you know, you can sit in front of your in front of your computer, um, do a Facebook Live, yep. and just do a whole show on what you're doing. Oh, absolutely. That's, and I think that's what's going to happen. I think this whole coronavirus is going to change everything to the Internet. Oh, I agree. I, I, think, I think there's going to be so many um, big changes that are going to be coming up. And, you know, you're going to see the end of cable TV, and you're going to see a lot of people uh, that are going to be creating their own shows and their own different things that they're doing. Well, the one thing I wish, and unfortunately I don't have the financial backing to do it, I would love a place that would actually take and do a uh, do the same thing that you're doing, but doing it with podcasts and audio programming. Because there's a lot of people out there doing it on a small level that don't get the recognition or get the uh, get the advertising or the promotion that the big ones get done through the major corporations. And I think someone doing that yeah. for the audio side of it would also be very good, too. Yeah. So I would agree. I would agree. And I think it's it's out there. And, you know, one of the things that we're noticing uh, with Undercover Jet Setter, because we're we're still posting new stuff. Yeah. And even though it, there's some travel stuff on there. I mean, our numbers have gone through the roof over the last, like, 10 days. And, and and a lot of it has to do with people are home looking for different things. And if you think about it, I mean, I was thinking to myself today, I was like, you yeah, know, let me go turn on a game. Oh, there's no game. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You know, you can't do that. And so um, so it's it's going to change. It's going to change. People are going to start, you know, taking uh, entertainment into their own hands. And so I think that the the, the news.tv is actually it's, it's it's really lined up at a perfect time. Unfortunately, 
it had to be a coronavirus that helped it maybe well, push it over the edge on the tipping point. But I, I, I wish you luck on it, and I hope everything goes well, and I'd love to have you back on maybe in a few months to see what happens, if we're still going through this right now or if it uh, finally starts to alleviate itself so we can talk about it and also talk about your new venture with News TV. I'd appreciate that. That'd be great. And plus, it, you know, by that time, I mean, it'll be really interesting to see with the election coming up right, and everything that's else. True. So who knows? I mean, I can't, I, I used to be able to predict things. Can't do it anymore, Bill. <laughs> well, John, thank you very much. I appreciate you joining tonight and we'll talk to you next time. Bill, I appreciate it too. Thank you so much. Thank you. John Daly of johndaly.tv, also of Undercover Jet Setter on YouTube and his new project, news.tv well john thank you very much for joining us and everybody thank you very much for joining us on this edition of online with bill alexander here at wmck.fm and also at italknet.com we'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly bill alexander if you've ever been a renter you know it's stressful to find a place with everything you love and nothing you don't. But did you know Zillow does rentals? It makes the search so easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find that place that's in your budget, but also isn't a shoebox. Or a place that's close to your parents, but far enough they have to call first. Plus, it's easy to apply, request tours, and pay rent in the app. Head to ZillowRentals.com and find your sweet spot. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace. Yours. Scramble through our world-class golf courses or shop your way through the square. Be one with nature as you hike or bike through our parks and trails or hunker down at one of our breweries. And when it's time to eat, be sure to bite into our eclectic food scene. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. When you look into Discover Student Loans, what you see might surprise you. We can help cover your college costs, don't charge you fees, and give you cash rewards for good grades. Ready to apply? Visit discoverstudentloans.com. Limitations apply.